A rattlesnake, if cornered, will sometimes become so angry that it will begin biting itself. This is exactly what people do to themselves when they allow a root of bitterness to spring up in their life. They start attacking and biting themselves. When we harbor bitterness and resentment in our heart toward others, as we get underway today, it is imperative that we all come together right away and understand this. Bitterness does the most damage to the person who harbors it. It does the most damage to the person who is harboring it. Now, bitterness does hurt other people because it is cancerous in relationships. Bitterness is a cancerous trait in any relationship. It, it gnaws and it eats away at the relationship moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. It's cancerous. And it just keeps gnawing. It just keeps chewing. It just keeps taking a bite out of the relationship. Whether it's marriage or ministry or just whatever the relationship is, if someone is harboring bitterness, that relationship is dying. James 3.14 tells us, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. There is nothing to glory about when you have bitterness in your heart. It is not good. Regardless of the situation, God wants us to know this morning that not only is bitterness not good for us, God wants us to know, listen, it's never justified. It's never justified. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.31 that this is to be put away. That bitterness is something that you put away. It's not something you harbor. It's not something that you make space for or allowance for in your life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, please hear me. You will never get God to agree with you on holding or harboring bitterness in your heart. God will never say, hey, that's okay, I understand, given that situation or that scenario, yeah, that makes sense. You go right ahead and hold on to that. God will never give you that message or me. So as we continue in 2 Samuel chapter 6 today, what we're going to do is, is we're actually going to come face to face with bitterness, and this will not be pleasant. Right? It just, it is, this will not be pleasant at all. If, when, you, when you've been in the presence of someone who is bitter, the, the word that, that I've come to associate with it very often is toxic. You can sense it. You can feel it. You, you, you can smell it. It's just, they're toxic. And for the time that you're in the company of this person, however long it is, it is unpleasant from the start to the end. And the best part about it is when you get to walk away and not be in their presence. 
Why? Because they're toxic. It's extremely unpleasant. And so as we come face to face with this today, what we need to do is agree with God that this is not for us. This is not for me. This is not a trait that I am to have. We begin in verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So in David's second attempt at moving the ark of the Lord, he did it God's way. He got it right this time, not the world's way, but God's way. And that led to restored fellowship with God and unabashed and passionate worship before him. Uh, David has no restraint in the most reverent of ways. I mean, he is the joy of the Lord is pouring out of his life before the Lord and before the people. He is enjoying God. As the ark came into the city of David, he leaped and danced before him with Jerusalem now being the capital of the nation. It was beyond vital to have the ark of God, God's presence there. And this is why David was just so exuberant and passionate and excited because this was glorifying to God. He wanted God's presence. He wanted God's favor. He wanted God's blessing over his reign over the nation. But while David leaped and danced, we see a very strong contrast. McCall, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw that and despised him in her heart. What a contrast. He's leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she's despising him in her heart. This word despise was also translated as contemptible, vile, contempt, disdained, or scorn in your Old Testament. So that gives you a visual of, of what was happening or the state of her heart during this time as she saw the king leaping and dancing. It was contemptible. That moment expressed how low of a view she had of David. She harbored bitterness in her heart toward him. The question is why? Why was she bitter? I, I can't say definitively exactly why she was bitter, but I could give you some things to think about. Number one, she had a very complicated history with men. A complicated and painful history with men. Her father had promised her older sister to David, but then reneged on that and gave her to another man. McCall did love David, and Saul agreed to give her to him in marriage, but he did so hoping that she would be a snare to him. And that, 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 that he could somehow use that to, to see that lead to David's death and demise. She would be eventually caught between trying to keep her husband alive, David, and her father, the king, who wanted to kill him. Her father would later take her away and give her to another man, Fauti or Faltiel, 
After being with him for a number of years, uh, David now demands that she be returned to him. And as that happened, her husband, Faltiel, was following behind, weeping, which expressed that he had grew to really love this woman as his wife, and that probably meant that she loved him as much as he loved her. That would tempt anybody to bitterness. Another reason was that, uh, that she could have been bitter is, is notice when you look at this, what we're going to see is, is in 2 Samuel chapter 3, David referred to McCall as his wife. But in the book of 2 Samuel, apart from that, she is never referred to as David's wife. She is referred to as Saul's daughter or the daughter of Saul. You're going to see that. She could be referred to as Saul's daughter to show that, like him, she did not possess a reverence for the ark. We're told in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 3 that under Saul's reign, that Israel did not inquire at the ark. So she had no reverence for it, and that could have influenced her disdain for David during this time. She didn't understand what the big deal was about that. Another potential reason for her bitterness could have been not having David all to herself now. Uh, the scene has changed significantly from 1 Samuel when she was first given to David, his first wife, and now that she is returned to him, she's not the only one, is she? Because by the time we get to verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, David's been busy adding wives and concubines, hasn't he? Things have changed. A different situation. But there's another reason for why she could have been bitter. And listen, this is one of the reasons for bitterness in marriage to this very day. I've seen this too many times, but listen, David and McCall were spiritually divided. They were not on the same page spiritually. David was leaping and dancing over the ark of the Lord coming into Jerusalem. And where's McCall? Standing in the window, not with him, despising him in her heart. I mean, he's having the time of his life worshiping God, praising God, glorifying God. And she's not there. She's bitter. She's not praising God. She's not leaping. She's not dancing. Uh, she's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. Amos 3, verse 3. Please hear this. Bitterness often takes root in a marriage where there is a, a, where there is a discrepancy in spiritual conviction. That's where bitterness often takes root in a marriage. When there is a discrepancy in spiritual conviction. When one spouse has a fervor and passion for the things of the Lord and the other does not. 
the welcome mat for bitterness is put out. Come on in. You've got one spouse who they love God, they love the Word of God, they want to be in the Word of God day in and day out, they want to serve the Lord, they want Him to be preeminent. And the other spouse says, eh, I'm glad that works for you. I'm glad you enjoy that. Hmm. That's what we see here. And the ending is never good when that's not corrected. Now, that is some insight regarding why McCall may have been bitter. But we need to get under the hood of bitterness today and listen, make some critical observations. I, I just can't, I don't have words to say to you to help, to try and help you to understand that, that this trait, you do not want this. You do not want to become bitter, man or woman. So the first thing I want us to see when we talk about bitterness today and we get face to face with it, I want us to see the darkness of bitterness. It is very dark. The darkness of bitterness. Please, the strongest proof of bitterness is despising those who have joy. That is a telltale, dead giveaway sign that you have become bitter. When it bothers you, you can't stand seeing others who have joy. What are they so happy about? That's not genuine, that's fake. I mean, it eats away at you. If we are bitter, here's what we start doing. We, uh, we, we start looking for fault with those who have joy. We, we, we start looking to criticize them and pick them apart and, and cast stones and, like McCall, despise them in our heart. He makes me sick. She makes me sick. But it doesn't stop there. We also start daydreaming and fantasizing about some greedy demise touching their life that will snatch their joy. Oh, how great it would be if, boy, if, oh, they lost their job. One of their kids got sick. We're just bitter. You know what? Is, is, does that not smell like the conversation between Satan and God in Job chapter 1? Yeah, things are going good, but I tell you what, let's flip the script and see what happens. We'll see where all that joy goes. We'll see where all that fear of you go. We'll see where all that love for you. Let, let's, let's, let's turn the heat up. Let's imagine 
some dark thing touching his life, and then we'll see. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty seven: He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. Be careful what you wish for regarding others when it comes to when you're bitter. Uh, seeking mischief is to seek the harm, the hurt, injury of others. And when someone is bitter, this is where they live. This is how they live. Not only dark, brothers, sisters, that's devilish. Paul told us to put away bitterness, but he also told us to put away something else. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Unless this happened to you. Unless that happened to you. Unless you went through that. Unless someone did this to you. No. No. All bitterness... And one of the words that he used here is malice. This word malice, we understand, stands at the root of the word malicious. Which means badness or depravity. Bitterness and malice are twin traits. And when you have this in your heart, you desire the absolute worst for others. Their good news is bad news to you. Their victory is defeat in your eyes. Their success is failure to you. This is so dark. It's a cancer. Next, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in His place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone, a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine, so all the people departed, everyone, to his house. So after God judged the Philistines in 1 Samuel for being in possession of the ark, regarding the ark, notice what the Philistines said. Let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and, and, and our people. That's 1 Samuel 5.11. Verse 17 here in chapter 6 says, the ark was set in his place. Exactly where it belonged. From there, we're told that David offered burnt, burnt and peace offerings before the Lord. But if you compare this with 1 Chronicles 16.1, it says that they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. That is said to clarify that David himself would not have done or performed the offerings given that he was not a priest. He would have authorized them. Uh, this was Saul's demise back in the book of 1 Samuel, right? 
recklessly offering a sacrifice which was out of bounds. But the focus of the burnt offering was atonement, and it also represented complete devotion of the worshiper to God because the entire animal was put on the altar. Praise the Lord that from a doctrinal perspective, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our burnt offering, and He atoned for our sin by offering Himself fully to God in our place. Praise God for that. In the peace offering, portions of the animal were burned on the altar, and then the rest of it was given to the priest and to the person who was making the offering and to their family and friends where they would enjoy this celebratory meal. And it represented that now this worshiper, this believer now, is at peace with God. And once again, praise the Lord that through Christ, our peace offering, we are at peace with God. But this was festive. This was celebratory. This was the scene. This was the setting as this ark came in and was put in his place. God was being glorified. The people were being blessed. The people were unified. This was a great thing for everybody except one. You're wondering, what on earth does this have to do with this conversation about bitterness? While all this is going on, where's McCall? In the window. I mean, this is, this is great. Man, the people are eating and celebrating and praising God and worshiping. David's leaping and dancing and the people are being blessed. And she is in an all-out pouting session. Throwing a tantrum worse than a two-year-old toddler. Verse 16 tells us she's looking through a window, but notice how verse 20 starts. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. So while all this is going on, she has reclused herself in her bitterness. I want you to see the loneliness of bitterness. The loneliness of bitterness. When you come face to face with it, this is what you see. Please, Bitterness is a very lonely experience. It's a lonely experience. Uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Hey, listen. We said that this is a dangerous trait. Please, understand this. Friendliness is a winsome trait. Friendliness is winsome. It draws people to you. It wins people to you. It's a wonderful Christ-like trait. People are drawn to friendly people. They want to be around them. They want to be with them. 
I mean, can we just, again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but I, I, think I, I think I know, right? We, we, we have these, thing called, these things called smartphones, right? And, and these things are, are talking to us all the time, aren't they? You get text messages, you get phone calls. Let me ask you, what goes through your mind when you see an incoming phone call or you see a text message from a better person? Oh, I better, I better get that. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. I know exactly what goes through your mind. Oh, <laughs> I'll pass. But when a friendly person, someone who has the joy of the Lord, someone who's at peace, someone who's loving God, loving life, someone who's positive, they don't murmur, they don't gripe, they don't complain, they're not negative. Man, what's up? Can I tell you, you guys know this by now. I mean, I thank God for my wife, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, okay? But there's this guy named Troy Stockstill. And Troy and I, we, we have this, I mean, he's, he's a lot busier than I am. He's the lead pastor now of a very large church, and he's got a lot going on, but I got a few things going on too. We're both pretty busy guys. But whenever Troy calls me, or I call Troy, if I can't take that call, or if he can't take that call, you can set your watch. It's usually within 15 minutes. But if I can take it, I don't even care what the call's about. Because it's going to be a good conversation. It could be the most serious thing we got to talk about, where, hey, what do you think about this, or whatever, okay. I guarantee you, at some point in that conversation, we're going to laugh about something. He's a sweet guy. Hear this. Bitterness is disinviting. It's disinviting. It's not a winsome trait. You know what people will do? Even if it is subconscious. If you are bitter, and this will be extremely hypothetical, because Mark is not bitter, he's a sweet guy, and he's one of those guys that, yeah, when I do see an incoming call or text, it's Mark. And he always goes, hey, bro, you got a minute? It's like, Mark, it's never a minute. <laughs> I'll look and I'll go, just so you know, it's 45 minutes. <laughs> Whatever. But hypothetically speaking, if Mark was a bitter guy, you know what I would do when I saw Mark? Even if it was subconscious, I would see Mark. Dave, what's up, man? How's it going? How's your week going? Just begging that somebody else would get Mark's attention. Why? Because I can feel the toxicity. He's bitter, and you can feel he's toxic, and he's negative, and he's sour. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want to hear what you're mad about today, what you're griping about today, what's not working today, what you're angry about, what you don't agree with, what you don't like. 
No thanks. Spouses, if you want your spouse to not to say, man, I just... Man, I can't wait to go. I, I want to be home. <laughs> like, I, if it, it, like for your spouse to, to 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 pull into the garage and 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 get out and, and not be like, okay, hopefully he or she, hopefully they're in the other part of the house and I don't see him and I can just go away and get in my own space and do my own thing and not have to see him. What you want your spouse to be like? Hey, man, it is. It's just good to be home. It's good to see you. Be sweet. Be sweet. But if day in and day out, this is wrong and that's wrong. I don't like this and I don't like that and I'm mad about this and I can't believe that. And Basement, here I come. <laughs> no, thank you. You walk in and, and, and to your spouse, you look like a plate of death. Just your countenance is just down. Dinner's ready. The kids got to be at school tomorrow. Camp starts at 8 o'clock. You taking them or I taking them? Boy, this is just wonderful. <laughs> your parents are coming. How long are they going to stay with us? I hope it's not too long. That's not sweet, y'all. I did say y'all. This might sound shallow, if not vain. But can I tell you? In ministry, I want to work with sweet people. That means as much to me as their spiritual gifting. You know why that's important to me? Because that means that we can walk and work together in a very enjoyable way. You go, yeah, bro, that is shallow. That is vain. Stay with me. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the, say it with me, sweet psalmist of Israel said. Still think it's shallow and vain? David, the warrior king, a man's man, the icon of masculinity. The Bible says he was sweet.
as it relates to relationships, we must understand when bitterness is not put away, the only relationships available to bitter people are with bitter people. Is that not sobering? When you're bitter, you essentially cut yourself off from being able to have and maintain relationships with friendly people, with sweet people. The only relationships that are available to you are with people who are just like you. You're all bitter. And it's never officially said in these relationships that are comprised of bitter people, but here's what's clearly understood. Words like love, joy, peace, unity, not allowed. If we're going to have a relationship, the prerequisite is we're going to be bitter and miserable. And every time we are together, we're going to reinforce our bitterness and our misery to each other. Are you miserable? Great, I'm miserable too. What are you miserable about? Well, I'm mad about this and I'm mad about that. Yeah, me too. And Man, (laughs) like McCall, they will despise other believers who have the joy of the Lord. Here's what's so sobering, though. Uh, I've been in ministry a little bit, so I've seen this movie a few times. Unfortunately, I'll see it again. Relationships consisting of better people eventually disintegrate. They always do. They always do. You say, how do you justify that? It's very, very simple. How can a relationship that is rooted in something that God says put away, how can that relationship last? It can't. God says that you are to put away this bitterness You say, I'm going to hang on to it. Me and -and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, we're all bitter. And you think that's going to last? No. Because what you've agreed to do, all of you, is grieve the Spirit of God. Which is why it can't work. In closing, verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father, And before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in 
honor. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When McCall looked through the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. But when she came out to meet him, she despised him with her mouth. That vitriol, that bitterness, that sourness, that resentment, that discontentment, that anger, spewed out. Whatever's in here will eventually be manifested right here. It's going to come out. And her speech left no doubt that he was not her husband in her heart. Notice how she approached him in the third person. How glorious was the king of Israel today. Very impersonal. Now, while he might not have been her husband in her heart, he was her king. He was her king. And because he was God's anointed, God had placed him over her and she needed to respect that. Not only did she disrespect that, she rebuked him. We need to see the haughtiness of bitterness. The haughtiness. And here's what we need to understand about haughtiness. When we talk about haughtiness, listen, haughtiness is the extreme expression of pride. It is the extreme expression of pride. And haughty people, listen, have no regard for spiritual authority. I don't care who you are. I don't care where God has placed you. I don't care about what the Bible says to me about how I am to view you, treat you, respond to you, deal with you. I don't care. See, if I don't agree with you, if I don't like something, that gives me permission in my haughty estimation to light you up. And talk to you any way I want. And that's just the way it is. Remember what we talked about last week in terms of learning what works for God and what doesn't work for God? Haughtiness does not work for God. Not having regard for spiritual authority doesn't work for God. Ladies, I hope that each and every one of you would rather drink the tallest glass of Clorox before you would ever address your husband this way or any other pastor or leader who's over you in the Lord. The thought of you behaving like this ought to be so sickening to you as a godly woman 
that you would rather drink a 32-ounce glass of Clorox before this tone was ever taken to your husband, to a pastor. But if you ever needed a reason to reverse course on bitterness today, here it is, Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility, unrepented of, if you're haughty, you do have an appointment with destruction. God has placed it on the calendar of your life. It's coming. Understandably, David did not appreciate McCall's rebuke and let her know that this was not about her or what she thought. God had chosen and appointed him to be the ruler over Israel, and he was just getting started with his unabashed praise and worship of God. But remember what we said about bitterness? We said a lot. But one of the things that we said about bitterness, that is what? It is disinviting. Look at verse 22 again. And of the maidservants, which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. The honor that David would have received from the lowest class of people in the nation, maid service, or maid servants, sorry, was more inviting than the dishonor he received from a bitter woman in the palace. Hey, you know what's inviting? This, this low class of maid servants, this, these people who that we, we look at as nothing, but you know what? They'll, they'll honor me. Versus McCall. My dad was the king. He didn't behave that way. And I'm going to blast you and light you. I'm not going to honor you. David says, well, I'll tell you what. Okay. I'm not attracted to that. McCall was out of line and God let her know what he thought about it. Verse 23, Therefore McCall, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. In the Old Testament, infertility was one of the most grievous judgments of God. It was perceived to be an absolute reproach. Prophesying to the backslidden northern kingdom of Israel, Hosea 9.14 says, Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. That was a very bitter judgment. Now, in chapter 21, we're going to encounter this phrase when we get there. The five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul. 
Now, if we look at that at face value, that sounds like McCall went on to have five sons. But if you keep reading, it goes on to say, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Methylite. Adriel, the husband of McCall's older sisters, or Adriel was the husband of McCall's older sister, Merab. The Bible says that McCall brought up their sons. With that said, I want you to see finally the barrenness of bitterness. You'll have no children. That's what I think about you having the audacity to despise the king that I have placed over you and to walk into his presence and talk to him the way that you did. In case you didn't get the memo, McCall, that doesn't work for me. Maybe your mother talked to your father like that. Don't care. (laughs) That doesn't work for me. Folks, bitterness is extremely costly. This is why you want nothing to do with it. You can't afford it spiritually. It's too costly. As I close, if we are bitter, we will not be fruitful because bitterness can only produce bitterness. If you're bitter, you're not fruitful because the only thing that you can produce is bitterness. Do you know, (laughs) when we say that bitterness is disinviting, would you hear this? It's also disinviting to the lost. You're not going to attract or win a lost person to Christ when you're bitter. You know why? Because that's not peculiar to them. (laughs) That's actually very familiar. What's peculiar to them, you ready, is sweetness. Sweetness today is peculiar. There is something different about you. A lost person will never say this about a better believer. There's something different about you. A lost person will never say that about a better believer. Lord, help us to agree with you from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.